It's a day that ends in Y, and so the libs are attempting to promote yet another weird sex thing. Having already succeeded at convincing people of a dubious new definition of marriage, and the possibility that a man can become a woman, and the health benefits of onanism, the libs are now focusing their rhetorical skill on persuading us all of the moral good of orgies. The latest issue of New York Magazine takes up the challenge. As the magazine explains, quote, the new issue explores the world of ethical non-monogamy. Brief digression. If you have to describe something specifically as ethical, it probably is not. Ethical non-monogamy is a contradiction in terms. It is like a vegan lion or elderly babies. If the adjectives and the nouns contradict one another, then you have a classic leftist expression. This is a rhetorical trick the libs use all the time. Undocumented American is a classic example of that. There is no such thing as an undocumented American because the reason that said undocumented American doesn't have documents is because he's not an American. So the phrase is contradictory. New York Magazine goes on, quote, the package includes a feature by Allison Davis on one specific polycule and offers polycurious readers an in-depth guide to opening up their relationships. An in-depth guide. The libs are not just detailing the degenerate behavior of weirdos. They are actively trying to get you to try it too. But they know it's degenerate. No matter how many times they jam that word ethical in there, they know that this behavior is repulsive and disordered. And the proof of that is that the cover image on the magazine is a bunch of kittens. Cute little kittens. An accurate portrayal of polyamory would depict sad girls with daddy issues and brain fried satyrs. So why kittens? It's the same trick that they pulled when they appropriated the rainbow. The libs always appropriate cherished symbols and then they use them to their own disordered ends because the reality that they're peddling turns people off. So they lure you in with lies and by the time you become aware of the nasty reality, they have already moved on to their next disordered lust. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Who's Trump going to pick for VP? The Veep stakes are on. And it's not just idle chatter and guessing. Donald Trump Jr. is floating some possibilities, some of whom are really great and some of whom are absolutely terrible. So I hope Trump picks a good one. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, it, it, I was going to say it wouldn't be a week of the Michael Knowles show. Now I think it might have to be, it wouldn't be an episode of the Michael Knowles show if we didn't just briefly touch on some more of the weird sex stuff that the libs are pushing. It's not me, guys. It's not me. I, if I had my druthers, we would never talk about weird sex stuff on the show at all. It's not, I'm not the one that, that put the, the orgies on the cover of the big lib magazines. I'm not the one telling husky dudes to go into the girl's bathroom. I'm not the one changing the definition of marriage. The libs are doing it. They're the aggressors in the culture war. I'm just noticing it. I'm just observing it and, and making a comment on it. Okay. But I'm, I, this is not my choice. All right. They're the ones pushing it. 
on us. And, and most egregiously, once they do all of that, once they push their weird sex stuff, they then try to pin it on us. I guess that's not the most egregious part. You know, probably the most egregious part is when they destroy marriage and, you know, castrate kids. And, but just after that is when they try to pin us for it. Kind of like what Norm Macdonald said about hypocrisy. You know, it's not the worst, but it's, it's bad. The FBI has just arrested a trans-identifying person who is planning a massacre. This person, Elizabeth West, I think it's a dude, but he goes by the name Elizabeth. I think I could be wrong about that. Who knows? I don't even really care. Elizabeth West, so-called, was charged with making interstate threats based on a Facebook post to the group Trans Woman Support Group, in which uh, he said that he thought he was going to be fired and he was tired of transphobic a-holes. So he wrote, I'm too old to keep looking for jobs and I've had it up to here being bullied by transphobic a-holes. I am left with no alternative. I've been preparing for this moment for a long time. At least then I will be remember. Won't be remembered as a great speller, but he thinks he'll be remember. And then this is this part is legitimately very sad. I have no family. I have no friends. So there really isn't any point in living anymore. I think for a lot of these people who go down the weird sex rabbit holes and, and just the weird rabbit holes more broadly, I think a big part of it is they just have no place in the community. They don't have a lot of family. They don't have a lot of friends. They don't fit in there. And because the, the culture has fractured in this way, because the libs have fractured the social order. They're, they've kind of led the charge of fracturing the social order, but the conservatives have gone along with it by adopting a radical individualism that says we don't necessarily need to care about other people or the common good. Because of that, you end up in a situation where these weirdos go really, really off the deep end. A social media bio for this person says that he's, quote, a Nazi dominatrix from hell who is tired of the blackening of America and Europe and ready to stand up to the black orcs and the Jewish wizards. Huh, that's kind of weird. And that part, that part matters because you've got a radical trans would-be mass shooter here, and the FBI is calling this person a right-wing extremist. The FBI said that this, uh, this is a, a case of far-right terror, white supremacy, and alt-right extremism. If you're a dude and you think you're a chick, you are most certainly not on the right. I know we keep moving the window here. I know that these days, someone who would have been considered a radical leftist 10 or 20 years ago can be considered a right winger. We're calling Bill Maher a right winger now. We're, we're calling people who engage in all sorts of deviant behaviors and situations. They're right wingers now. You know, listen, man, I'm in a polycule. And I've had, uh, I, I promote abortions and I'm in a polycule and I support open borders. I'm a right winger, you know, I'm because I support low taxes or something. I know we keep, but I think, call me crazy. I know I'm not the, the dictator of conservatism yet, but it seems to me if you're a fella who identifies as a chick, you, you are not a right winger. But what the FBI did is they pointed to all this stuff where he says he hates the blacks and the Jews, and therefore he's got to be a right winger. Right? Never mind, by the way, that the vast majority of anti-Jewish rhetoric in America today comes from the left. I'm not saying there's none of it on the right, but it, most of it clearly comes from the left. 
Where does the hatred of the Jews and of the blacks come from? According to court documents, comes from uh, the fact that this man has been misgendered by a group of black guys and the black guys physically assaulted him. That's where it comes from. And he doesn't like immigrants because uh, an immigrant was on Oregon's public health plan and got free transgender surgery that this guy was not able to get himself. So he got angry at them. I don't know exactly where the Jew thing comes in, but in any case, it seems to be very, very specific incidents related to his transgenderism, which is on the left. So look, the guy's obviously completely insane. I'm not trying to suggest that he's, you know, a left-wing political philosopher, many of whom are insane themselves, but it seems like a little bit of a stretch, right, for the FBI to call this person a right-winger, an alt-right, far-right terrorist. It's crazy. This isn't the first time that the FBI has done this. Late last year, there was a gang of pedophile Satanists that had been doing all sorts of horrible things to girls, and they arrest one of the guys, and they say he's a white supremacist. The guy's Hispanic, and he called the judge in the case a cracker. And we'll get to why that is in just one second. First, though, Speaking of important matters of life and death, you got to go check out Trust and Will. Right now, go to trustandwill.com slash Knowles. From maintaining control of your assets to easing the burden on your loved ones, an estate plan can ensure your family is prepared and protected. If you're looking for a way to set up your estate to offer financial benefits and more, then you need to check out Trust and Will. Traditional estate planning can cost thousands of dollars, and many one-size-fits-all solutions may not capture all the important details of the life you've built. With Trust and Will, you can protect your legacy from the comfort of your home starting at just $159. They have simplified the process of creating and managing your will or trust online from finding out what's right for your family to finalizing documents with a notary. I am very, very pro-will. I have had a will since I was 17 or 18 years old. It's really important. It will give you peace of mind. It will make sure that your stuff doesn't go to the state. It'll make sure your kids don't go to the state. It'll it'll take care of all the things that matter, material and even more importantly, your family and your kids. Don't don't leave that burden to the loved ones behind and, and don't leave them vulnerable to the state. Each will or trust is crafted to be state-specific and customized to your needs. Trust and will will cover your care wishes, guardian nominations, final arrangements, power of attorney. With thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Trust and Will has earned an overall rating of excellent. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust and Will 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash Knowles. 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash Knowles. A transvestite would-be mass shooter, according to the FBI far-right-wing extremist, a uh, satanic pedophile gang led by a Hispanic who called the judge in the case a cracker. He's a, he's a white supremacist. What? And the white supremacists, obviously, they, they lumped in on the right. Why? What, what's this about? I'll tell you exactly what it's about. The terrorists have to be right-wing. They have to be. They can't be left-wing. Because the left-wing, that's the good side. So they have to be right-wing. The liberals are the goodies, and the right-wingers are the baddies. So they're going to figure it out. They're going to make it. In this case, white people are the baddies too, so the Hispanic guy becomes white. Just like the, the man who killed Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman. He had to be white. They find out the guy looks as Hispanic as they come. It looks like he just got off a boat somewhere from Latin America. Doesn't matter. He's a white guy now because he's a baddie. So he has to be a white. That's just the way it is. 
people who try to make sense of this, they start from the facts and then they try to get to the conclusion that the left has come to. That's not how it works. The left starts from the conclusion and they work backwards and they will rewrite a person's race. They will rewrite a person's stated political views. They'll rewrite a person's sex and sexual identity. If they have, they'll rewrite anything. The end has to be the same. Now, speaking of right-wingers, we're into the veep stakes, baby. There are still two, maybe more, two even somewhat registering additional Republican candidates in the primary beyond Donald Trump. That's Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. I think Asa Hutchinson is still in it. I think there's another guy named Binkley in it, but you know they're, they're not really showing up anywhere. DeSantis and Haley are barely registering. For all intents and purposes, the primary is over. So now we're moving on to who is Trump going to pick for his running mate? Donald Trump Jr. has some thoughts. Could you see your father running with Ron DeSantis? I asked him that question over the summer and he didn't rule it out. Could you see Ron DeSantis? How, how do you, it's hard, you know, they, they, people do that. Like, you know, I, 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 I would do whatever I could to make sure it wasn't Nikki Haley, but, uh, you know, but like a Ron DeSantis, could I see, you're never going to rule out someone that is, you know, a leading contender. It doesn't mean that's who you go with. I could see other people. That would be great. I'd love to see, you know, a J.D. Vance. I'd love to see a Tucker Carlson. I'd love to see, you know, people who are just principally, uh, you know, in alignment as well as like aggressive. I, you, you actually need a fighter. The Republicans in Washington, D.C. are weak. You can have the House, the Senate, and they'll still roll over. It Don, matter. is your dad serious uh, about Tucker Carlson? Are those rumors serious? I would imagine. You know, listen, that's clearly it would be on the table, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're very friendly. I think they agree on virtually all of these things. They certainly agree on stopping the never-ending wars. Uh, and so, you know, I, I would love to see that happen. And, you know, that, that would certainly be a contender. I love Tucker. Tucker would be a cool choice. I'm fine with it. I don't think it's going to happen, though. The reason I don't think it's going to happen is I see no evidence that Trump would pick a huge personality who in any way could even somewhat compete with Trump's huge dominant personality. I don't see any evidence of that at any point in his 40-plus year public life, certainly not from the last pick. The last pick he made was to balance him out, a quieter guy from the Midwest who's on board. He's going to be supportive, but he's not going to really challenge Trump or overshadow him. He's not going to have, have had public disagreements with Trump very often as Tucker has. So, you know, love Tucker, very conservative guy. Uh, that'd be terrific, but I don't really see that happening. The next choice, Elise Stefanik. Don't like that. Elise Stefanik is pretty liberal. She's from New York. The reason that some are reporting that she's being considered for VP is she's been relatively loyal to Trump, which is good. That's a good thing. You, you really want someone who's going to be loyal. She wouldn't overshadow Trump in any way, uh, but I still don't really see what she brings to the table. She's a liberal Republican who's totally identified with Team Trump. So even if Trump were trying to do a Reagan-Bush kind of thing here, you know, you get the conservative guy at the top of the ticket and the more establishment liberal guy at the bottom of the ticket, uh, here, the, at least Stefanik doesn't really unite the party because she's lumped in as a Trumper. It's just kind of like the, the worst of all worlds from an electoral perspective. The, the more liberal policies, but, but also the baggage that goes uh, along with supporting Trump if you hang out with the country club establishment set. So, and she's from New York. I mean, it's not like Trump's going to carry New York. I don't really see it happening. Uh, DeSantis would be great. I mean, love DeSantis, absolutely great governor. 
that can't happen because constitutionally, uh, you can't have a guy at the top and bottom of the ticket from the same state. It would, it would, uh, not work with the electoral college system. So, you know, just as a tech, I'm not, I don't think Trump would pick DeSantis anyway, for the same reason I mentioned above with Tucker. I don't think he's going to pick a, a really tough personality who's got a career of his own who might butt heads with him. I just don't see that happening. But, uh, certainly not someone who's campaigned against him. This has become a pretty nasty primary. Uh, But there's also just a technicality. So I don't don't really see that happening. It's funny, Don Jr. says, I really hope it's not Nikki. (laughs) You know, if Nikki is hoping for a Reagan-Bush kind of thing, um, uh, that's the path forward for her. But if the Trump family is against her and they think this has gotten too personal and they can't trust her, then then she's out. Uh, So that leaves a really interesting choice there, J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance is on the team. He got elected with a major endorsement from Donald Trump. He represents more the new right, the more populist, more traditionally conservative side of the party, as opposed to the alternately libertarian side or the neoconservative side or the globalist side. You know, J.D. does not represent that. He's also from Ohio. And they, they would always say, as goes Ohio, so goes the nation. Ohio accurately has predicted a lot of presidential elections. That predictive power failed in 2020, but the Democrats rigged it in 2020 and changed all the rules. Hopefully the rules will have been corrected a little bit by the time we get to November 2024. Of the choices that were just floated there, JD is probably the best one. What do you think? What do you think? Let me know in the comments. I'm curious. As far as how things stand right now, though, the question is not barring a lightning bolt from the Democrats or from the heavens, uh, will Trump be the nominee? He, he is. No one else has a path to victory. The question is, how long will this drag on for? So next up, we go to New Hampshire. And what we've been hearing is that Haley is surging in New Hampshire. She's way ahead of DeSantis, but she's still pretty far behind Trump, 10 to 15 points behind Trump. Uh, that that lead seems to have widened. The last number I was looking at was Haley about, about 10 points behind Trump. Now, a new poll out from St. Anselm shows Trump at 52, so he's crossed that 50% threshold. Every other candidate could unite, he would still beat them. And he's 14 points above Haley, who's at 38, DeSantis at 6. Now, uh, among Republicans who are voting, not just independents, New Hampshire Republicans, they're a little bit weird. You know, they're independent, they cut their own course, they don't really reflect the national party. Among Republicans, Trump is up over Haley by 40 points at 65 to 25. And then among independents, Haley has a lead over Trump, but it's only a 15 point lead. So it's not, not enough to cover for the, the 40 points, Haley 52, Trump 37. So there's the Anselm poll. There's also a Suffolk poll shows basically the same numbers. Trump at 50, Haley at 36. So that same 14 point lead, DeSantis at six. So far this season, I'm as skeptical of the polls sometimes, especially in general elections, as anybody. The polls have have proven accurate. That that was a big lesson out of Iowa. The polls here are consistent. So DeSantis, certainly going to get completely destroyed in New Hampshire. He's not even campaigning in New Hampshire, though. DeSantis has sent his campaign staff to South Carolina. That might be kind of a last stand. What DeSantis is hoping for here is that Haley gets blown out of the water so that it it doesn't just look like a two-man race between Trump and Haley. If Haley somehow pulled out a miracle in New Hampshire and won, 
She still wouldn't have a shot at the nomination, but she could drag this thing out a little bit longer. And she has an incentive to drag this out a little bit longer because she's a young woman. So she can gobble up a little bit of leverage. She, she won't have a ton of electoral votes by the end of this process. She's not even on the ballot in Nevada. She's going to get blown out in Michigan. That's all before Super Tuesday. She's going to get destroyed on Super Tuesday. But she knows that. She's a very smart politician. I don't think that what she's trying to do here is force a Reagan-Bush situation. I think she's trying to be the number two from 2024. So that when 2028 rolls around, Nikki Haley can say, I almost got it last time. And whether Trump wins or Trump loses, she can say, I'm next up appoint me, which is how the Republicans used to do this. They did it with George H.W. Bush. They did it with Bob Dole. They did it with John McCain. They did it with Mitt Romney. And I think that's what Nikki Haley is playing for here. If she can just stay in the race long enough to clearly be the number two, then she's got a better play for 2028. Uh, DeSantis has both more and less of a reason to drop out, speaking of contradictions at the top of the show, meaning Trump isn't going to pick him for anything. I think that relationship has been blown. Uh, DeSantis is going to be term limited in Florida. So he's going to be out of office by the very beginning of 2027. It's going to be tough for him to run in 2028, especially with this showing. So, so if you're Ron DeSantis, you've raised $200 million. Why not just stay in? <laughs> you know, why not just stay in and just wait to see if a lightning bolt hits Trump? It, it doesn't look all that great, but what else is he going to do? You know, there's, there's a lot of stick. There's a lot of punishment that this guy's received on the campaign. There's not a lot of carrot right now to get out other than he doesn't want a humiliating loss in Florida, but Florida's not up all that soon. There are still a few states to go there. In any case, any way you slice it, Trump's the nominee. Barring a, a major natural disaster or, you know, Hillary showing up in the Groucho glasses in the FedEx truck with a silencer on her pistol. Barring that, Trump is the nominee. Lady Ballers is the hilarious story of how a group of male losers who can't win against other men decide to identify as women and join a women's basketball league. Yes, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's laughable, which is just another word for ridiculous. They're, they're synonyms. They mean literally the same thing. Well, it's happening right now in the world. Here's a quick look at what is being called the most triggering movie of the decade by us. Leftists are losing it over Lady Ballers. Nothing's changed. This movie is a straight up and intentional transphobic hate crime. What? I see you. The Lady Ballers movie needs to be banned. I'll cancel you. I can get the blinds, please. Code 11. The most toxic BS you've ever seen. You're a monster. Yeah. Next level hate speech propaganda. That's it. That's the pitch. Watch the most triggering comedy of the decade. <laughs> Lady Ballers, streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Do not wait. Watch Lady Ballers. I joked earlier. I said that it's called the most triggering movie of the decade by us. Yeah, that was in our trailer, but Look at all the great reviews we got on Rotten Tomatoes, jumped up to the biggest streaming movie in the country, and all of this when Hollywood does not want you to see it. So go check out the movie. Hollywood couldn't make it. We did it. Watch it exclusively on Daily Wire Plus right now. Speaking of major election issues, mass migration continues to be a major issue. This has been a major issue now for almost a decade in its recent form. And it's cropped up over the years, but especially in recent years, 
in America, obviously. It was a big part of the Trump win in 16. In the UK, in Italy, in Hungary, in Poland, in all over Europe, all over the West. Mass migration is a big problem. The Dems still don't get that message. I think Joe Manchin and John Fetterman are the two Democrats in the entire country who realize that just opening up the borders and flooding the country with foreigners is not maybe necessarily the most prudent idea. The rest, the rest of the Dems are insisting that open borders and mass migration is not only a good thing, but it is profoundly, essentially American. Here we have Democrat Congressman Max Frost. To my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, let's be honest with immigrants who deserve better than what you're offering them. Don't welcome immigrants if you plan to reject them. If you keep pushing your bigoted HR2 bill, then also pass this bill. I've taken the liberty of drafting it for you. It removes the Statue of Liberty, our largest symbol that tells people to come here. This is who you are, removing the fabric of America. So I want to know which Republican who supports and voted for HR2 will introduce this bill. The Statue of Liberty doesn't actually tell foreigners to come here. It certainly doesn't tell them to come here in, in violation of our laws. It certainly doesn't tell them to come here illegally and, and in infinite numbers. But it doesn't tell them to come here at all. The Statue of Liberty is a beacon of light to the rest of the world. It is to illuminate and provide a model for the rest of the world. The Statue of Liberty is not a statue of Attila the Hun tearing down our borders. It's not a statue of Genghis Khan conquering our country. It's a statue of liberty. I'm not even all that hot on the Statue of Liberty. I mean, don't forget, it was given to us by the French. The French. And not even the good old aristocratic, Catholic, monarchistic French. It was the the post-revolution French, who were totally nuts who sacked churches and replaced the traditional religion with with temples of reason and chopped up all the neighborhoods and made them all really dumb and gave us the metric system and just all, ah, it was a gift from them. So, you know, I like it. I'm a New Yorker. I like the Statue of Liberty, but it does not mean what he says it means. The reason this guy thinks that the Statue of Liberty tells foreigners to flood into our country in violation of our laws is because there's a poem on the Statue of Liberty called, what's it called? The Great Colossus, I think it is. It's by Emma Lazarus. Uh, it It was a poem added on, put there at Ellis Island in 1889 or something. It was the latter part of the 19th century. This woman, Emma Lazarus, was a socialist. She was actually specifically a Georgist, which is a forgotten political economic program, but it's just a version of socialism. And yeah, Yeah, I'm sure that some weirdo socialists in the 19th century wanted to make a French statue even more radical, but that is not in the American tradition. Oh, and by the way, guess what happened about 30 to 40 years after we got the Statue of Liberty and even we put the poem there, we severely curtailed migration for half a century. (laughs) That's what we did. We instituted the Immigration Act of 1924, and we severely curtailed the number of immigrants who could come into the country. We tied it to to national and ethnic quotas, and we totally excluded Asians. Okay, so it's pretty restrictive. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that any Republican is calling for a return to that, but 
Don't tell me that it totally undermines American history. We, we have had, from the very beginning of our country, very, very severe restrictions on immigration for much, if not most, of our history. Okay? It's not, the country is not what these people say it is. For goodness sakes. Now, speaking of restoring order, Florida legislators are doing great stuff. They are seeking to ban the pride flag in government buildings and schools. Love that. The legislation would, would be broader. It's not just targeted at the rainbow. And pretty soon, I guess, we'll have a polyamorous flag. They'll just add a new, some new little stripe to the, poly, to the, to the rainbow flag. I, don't, I wonder what it will be. I don't even think I want to imagine what it will be. The legislation would uh, require that, quote, a government entity may not erect or display a flag that represents a political viewpoint, including, but not limited to, a politically partisan, racial, sexual orientation and gender, or political ideology viewpoint. That's great, because what that does is, it says you can't do the rainbow stuff, you can't do the BLM flag, you can't do any of your weirdo flags. This is great. Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we pass that? No, no one believes that today you could uh, erect a, a Nazi flag on an American government building, right? No, no one seriously thinks that. You might say, well, if we don't let you put the Nazi flag up, what, you're curtailing free speech. Uh, not really. <laughs> not really. No one believes it. No, it's not, it has no place in a government building. You can't put every single flag on a government building and flags are symbols and what they symbolize is supposed to tell you something about the, the entity that is raising those flags. And in this case, it's the government. So it tells you something about your country. And our country is not a Nazi country and it's not a communist country like the BLM people would have it be. And it's not yet Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> so maybe it is. I don't know. We're veering close to it. But, but I don't think it's quite that yet. It's America. It's America. To that congressman's point, when he says, you know, the Statue of Liberty welcomes us all here, from the very beginning of America, we were, we were supposed to be a model for the rest of the world to emulate, not to empty out the rest of the world and fill up our country. A, a model of Christian charity by John Winthrop. It's one of the most famous speeches. It goes all the way back to the 17th century. It's one of the most famous speeches in American history. It says we're going to be a shining city on a hill. It's a light. It's a model for people. They can see it. And so what are we modeling? Are we modeling BLM Marxism? Are we modeling degenerate sex stuff? Are we modeling what? What are we modeling? I want to model truth, justice, and the American way, at the very least, and maybe, maybe things even better than that. So now, now we turn from fake matters of free speech to legitimate matters of free speech. This is a story I wanted to get to yesterday. I have to mention it here. Uh, Jordan Peterson has been sentenced to a re-education camp. Jordan, he, he lost his appeal, and so Jordan will lose his professional license if he does not go to a re-education camp. And all I can think is, that poor re-education camp, can you imagine those poor instructors, the poor bureaucrats? It's so sad. I feel so badly for them. That guy is not going to go quietly into that into that night. No, no. I hope he films it. It'd be great. My favorite comment yesterday is from KW91, who says, completely missed the opportunity to call the Davos people weftists. Shame on you, Michael. That's really, really good. KW91, and I'm going to steal it. 
We finally arrived at my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. Our mailbag is sponsored by PureTalk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Save an additional 50-5-0% off your first month. Take it away. Good morning, Michael. This is Arun. Today I've got a fun question for you. Now, I think I speak for all conservative Americans when I say that I've never fully understood the leftist racial hierarchy. Nevertheless, I'm going to ask you for some insight on this matter. As we are all aware, the left has a strict policy against the portrayal of so-called people of color, whatever that term means, by people of Caucasian descent. Yet a couple months ago, an SNL sketch of one of the early GOP debates flagrantly violated that rule, and even now as the primaries seem to be drawing to a swift close, with the consolidation of the field around Donald Trump, SNL has suffered no social consequences from this. I'm referring, of course, to the portrayals of Nimratha, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy, who are both Indian. In the aforementioned SNL sketch, Governor Haley was cast as a white female, whereas Mr. Ramaswamy was portrayed by a black male. Now, personally, this doesn't offend me, and I think SNL is free to cast any real-life character using an actor of any race, as long as that actor vaguely resembles their real-life counterpart, at least in terms of height, build, or other relevant characteristics. I'm glad they at least chose actors of the appropriate sex. But could you dissect this for me and explain why it is that Governor Haley is mapped onto a white person, whereas Mr. Ramaswamy is mapped onto a black person? Is it really as simple as the fact that Governor Haley is of slightly lighter skin pigmentation than Mr. Ramaswamy? Or is there a deeper social commentary that you can offer here? Thank you, as always, for bringing a modicum of sanity to these insane times. Excellent question, Arun. As always, three answers come to mind. One, they get away with more when it comes to Republicans. They can mock Republicans in a way that they're not allowed to mock Democrats. So that's, that's the easiest part. The second part is the colors match. You know, Nikki looks white and Vivek looks much browner. So the colors match and the libs have drawn a distinction recently between race and ethnicity. And these terms are really malleable, you know, that the meaning of the word race has changed over time and ethnicity is added in there and culture and race have become more separated in, in um, modern anthropology. But all these things overlap quite a lot. And when the libs say race, they're referring to color. And when they say ethnicity, they're referring to, I don't know, descent of a, of a different sort. Uh, so that's, that's how they do it. But then the third one I think is important. You don't want to look over it which is Indians don't really count for them. <laughs> the libs don't really like Indians. They'll sometimes defend Indians and get offended on behalf of Indians. You saw this a little bit uh, with the Babylon Bee headline. Very funny headline. It said, uh, Donald Trump offers Vivek Ramaswamy a position running the White House 7-Eleven. <laughs> it's a good headline. And Vivek thought it was funny, but a bunch of white people got offended on Vivek's behalf. Sometimes you see it. But broadly, the libs don't really like Indians because the Indians upset a lot of their um, plans and, and uh, schemes. Uh, Indians are extraordinarily successful. Uh, they tend to be very smart and high achieving academically. Um, they uh, can, can be a little bit more right wing. Obviously, the Indians elected a, a right wing leader who's been governing for the better part of a decade now over there. So uh, they don't really like that. The Indians become a pro the South Asians become a problem for the libs, and so they're further down the hierarchy, even though they are in fact foreign and brown. Next question. Hello once again, Mr. Knowles. It is Slap My Base coming at you with another question. 
So I have been tasked to come up with a funeral mass as I need to prepare one for a relative who will be passing on very soon. And I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite funeral hymns other than Amazing Grace, which is basically the staple? I've already got a couple in mind, but I wanted to see what you would think of as a good preference, and maybe I can add it to the catalog. Once again, thanks for everything. Great question. I tend to prefer even more traditional than, say, Amazing Grace or something like that. So the, my first go-to would be Ave Maria, Schubert's Ave Maria, maybe Bach's Ave Maria, maybe Brahms's Ave Maria even, who knows. Um, another Ave that would be good would be Ave Verum Corpus, would be nice. Um, but it sounds like you want something a little bit more modern. It's considered old by a lot of modern people, but I consider it a little bit more modern, like Amazing Grace. So it depends. If you want something a little bit more modern or even a little bit more Protestant, How Great Thou Art, I really like. really like the Elvis version. You know, oh, Lord my God, in humble That's a good one. Um, but I, I like the old, sturdy, traditional hymns, you know. Uh, oh, Jesus, we adore thee. O Jesus, we adore thee, who in thy love divine. I, I, I find that good for a funeral because a lot of modern funerals just look back with sadness on the loss of a person, a loved person, and then they either openly despair or they just fall into soft soap about how well we know that person is in heaven now, even though we don't know that for certain. <laughs> we, we hope that that person's in heaven. We pray that that person is in heaven, but we don't know. So it, it comes off as soft soap and wishful thinking rather than uh, a persuasive truth. I, I prefer, and I hope, uh, everyone take note, by the way. I, you know, I hope I live a good long life, but when my requiem mass is to be said, I want good, solid hymns, and I want them preaching the gospel. And that's what I want. I don't want sentimentality about me. I want good, sturdy gospel and good, sturdy hymns about Jesus. And the reason I want that is because that gives you real hope. If all of that's true, if the religion is true, if Jesus is who he says he is, if God is real, then we can actually have hope that there is something beyond death. But if it's not, then we're all just going to be despairing no matter how much we fool our, ourselves. A windy answer to a simple question. Next one. Hi, Michael. Love the show. Thank you for continuing the conservative fight. I'm wondering if you share Congressman Woman Tlaib's concern that Trump incited an erection on <laughs> January 6th. Thank you, and I appreciate your thoughts. Hmm. I think you're confusing Congress Lady Talib with Congress Lady Pramila Jayapal. Uh, but I am concerned that Trump excited an erection on uh, January 6th. I know he did in the newsrooms all over America. I know he did among all the Democrat Congress people. I know he did. I think plus Adam Kinzinger and uh, Liz Cheney, but I repeat myself. Uh, yes. No, that does concern me. I find it very unsettling and unpleasant to think about. But but Trump did it. There's no there's no question about that. Hello again, Mr. Knowles. It's Slap My Base coming at you with another question. So as you obviously know, the year in review for 2023 in Cigar Aficionado has just been released. The Arturo Fuente Opus X ended up winning Top Cigar of the Year. 
So my question to you would be, have you been approached yet by Cigar Aficionado to review Mayflower cigars? And if you did, do you think this would change the perspective of sales if the review was either good or bad? Now, I reference this magazine for all of the cigars that I would like to try. And obviously, with you being my favorite podcaster, Mayflower kind of spoke for itself. So I would like to know, would it be a problem if Cigar Aficionado gave you the review? Or would this be something that you would be openly looking forward to in order to see what the professionals, quote unquote, think? Thanks. Great question. I I would like to be reviewed in Cigar Aficionado. I actually have a copy of it right over there. I'm a longtime reader of Cigar Aficionado. So I I would like to be reviewed in it because I love the magazine. I I don't actually need Cigar Aficionado to review it because I'm already selling a lot of cigars. Uh, so not not boasting here. It's just that uh, a, a lot of new cigar brands need the magazine to get on anyone's radar. And because we're coming from Daily Wire, we sell out instantly. I mean, we've, we've sold all the cigars that we possibly could. I think the number is 57,000 in the, the equivalent of like three days or something. And so we're producing as many as we can. I actually just had a meeting earlier today about the cigars. Um, but uh, we're going to get many, many, many more, so we won't have so many supply issues. But uh, for me, it would be nice to get aficionados ratings because I, I respect those guys. I really like the magazine. It would be very cool. The great success of Mayflower Cigars has been the fulfillment of a 15-year-long dream. And so that'd be kind of fun, too, because I've been reading the magazine for that long. But uh, no, the people I need to make my cigar company successful are you all. And you have already done that <laughs> and made the launch of Mayflower Cigars arguably the most successful cigar brand launch ever. Certainly, certainly up there. Written question from John. Hello, Michael. I'm a longtime listener of the show, first time writing in. So forgive me if I'm asking a question you've already proposed. What do you think is keeping the body positivity movement and the gender affirming care for youths movement from clashing with each other? Dylan. Wow. Great question. Um, You're thinking of the logic. This ties into something we were talking about earlier in the show. You're thinking of the logic, supposed logic, in those respective ideologies and movements first. You've got to think of the end goal first. The left-wing thinking is very consequentialist. They think about the end result they want to achieve, and they think that any means justifies that, even if the various means that they use contradict one another. What the libs are doing with both the gender-affirming, the transgender movement, and the body positivity movement is attacking normality, normal standards of beauty and health and truth. So either way gets them there, promoting really unhealthy lifestyles and appearances that are grotesque, that will get them there, and uh, chopping off kids' genitals and castrating them and pretending dudes can be chicks will get them there too. I, I totally see your point that the gender-affirming care is actually contrary to accepting your body as it is and loving yourself and all, all the rest of it. Um, but to, to be as charitable as I can to the libs, what a lot of it comes down to, uh, the most coherent argument for what they're doing is just a, a radical kind of subjectivism where they say, well, I look like a man, but I think I want to be a woman. I think I'm a woman, so I just am a woman. Because I, th- I say so, and you can't tell me otherwise. Well, you know, I'm 400 pounds, and I haven't taken a walk in, in 10 years. 
uh, and I'm doing all sorts of unhealthy things that will harm me, but I, I like it and I get to pick whatever I want because my will is all that matters, totally divorced from reason. And so that's the nearest thing they have to a coherent argument for it. But really what it's about is they just, they just hate normality, probably because they have daddy issues, if I had to guess. Um, next question from Dylan. Michael, what's the most lib thing you do? Mine is that I shamelessly enjoy coconut and oat milk. Beat that oat, oat milk. No, come on. Don't, don't do that. It's not even good for you. Some of the lib things are, are somewhat healthy for you. Oat milk is bad for you. It's just like sugary. Don't do that. Most lib thing I do, I don't know. I do a lot of lib things, right? I mean, things that are, are today associated with the left. I don't know. I like opera. I play the ukulele. I, I go to Starbucks. Going to Starbucks is probably the most lib thing I do, but I don't care. It's a great corporation. They've effectively installed public restrooms in every city in the world and a lot of small towns too. The coffee I think is quite good. And yeah, maybe that's it. That's, maybe that's the most lib thing that I do. Because on the cultural stuff that I do that today is branded lib, but it, it, in the past it would have been branded conservative. You know, like being interested in poetry or something is kind of considered lib today, but it would have been quite conservative, actually even manly, you know, back in the day. Uh, but the Starbucks thing would always be kind of lib. And, and I do it and I, uh, that's, what can I say? I don't even apologize. Sorry, I'm not sorry. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you next week.